Hello and welcome once again to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets show. I'm John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I am joined today by Harriet Russell. How are you doing, Harriet? Good, thanks. And How you're are gonna, you? Not too bad. You're going to talk to us about, well, better than yesterday. Because uh, <laughs> yesterday was worst press day ever. Um, but there you go. Um, you're going to talk to us today about your cover feature, Fighting yeah. the Cure, which is about the companies battling some of the world's deadliest diseases. Yeah. Um, Bradley Gerard, who is relatively new to the IC. How are you doing, Bradley? I'm very good, thank you. Yep, three weeks in. Three enjoying weeks. it so far. Good, good. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Three weeks in. Uh, I'm three years now as editor, nearly, in about two weeks' time. And uh, good yeah, stuff. time flies, doesn't it? On the <laughs> it IC. Does. Time. So, uh, not yesterday, during worst press day ever, unfortunately. It felt like the day it was taking forever. And it actually was. You were here, Bradley. I you was, yeah. News. It was yeah. an interesting experience. Um, yes. Hopefully, press days don't go on as long as that. Um, normally, I'm, I'm sure it's a very tough ship usually just a, an it, unusual experience it yesterday was, it was an anomaly okay. an anomaly good to so, hear uh, good yeah to you're, hear. you're going to talk to us about news and some of the results you've done yeah this week so uh yeah welcome aboard Thank anyway you. welcome to your first uh companies and markets podcast and over in the control room uh, along with dom who's uh who's man in the controls we've got uh, ian smith how are you doing ian fine john how are you doing yeah good all right good Big week in the financial uh, sector. A lot of your uh, insurers reporting this week and some M&A activity there as well. Yeah, lots going on. Lots going on, yeah. Who said finance wasn't interesting? (laughs) Not me. Okay, let's start with uh, news. So, uh, Bradley, you've looked after news this week. It's your first week of putting together seven days. It is. The roundup of uh, all the big stories in the world. And again, you've picked a good week because... We've had some really quite interesting stuff this week, particularly in China. Yeah, very interesting. Um, The People's Bank of China pretty much caught everyone, apart from itself, by surprise, really, I suppose, by devaluing its currency. Um, Did it it actually? I mean, it wasn't a deliberate choice, but what it hasn't done is re-pegged it to the dollar. So it kind of just let it it drift, which it hasn't done for for a while. Yeah, they they, they have like a daily fix, they call it. So there is an element, I guess, of an actual decision behind the move because they decide at which level to fix it every day. But this time they decided they weren't going to fix it. Yeah, pretty much. So it dropped a bit and it dropped again the next day. And I think it's dropped again today as well. Um, They have actually stepped in today. uh, The FT's covered it extensively. Um, The People's Bank of China stepping in and trying to calm market down and saying there is no... Honestly, hands up, there is no um, move here to devalue the currency significantly for a long period of time. But um, yeah, it, it did rattle markets on Thursday, um, sorry, Wednesday. But um, I think everyone's kind of a bit more relaxed now. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good that they're relaxed. I'm not so sure because, I mean, it doesn't explain why they let it drift rather than fixing it as they have done no, over many, many years. No, it doesn't. I mean, I suppose the one, you know, if, if one thinks about the reasons for weakening a currency, um, it might be that it would help a country's exporters. Yep. Um, so perhaps China is a bit more worried about its economic growth prospects than people realise. Um, so it could be an admission of that, possibly. Yeah, but um, this, I mean, this, we've been talking about this a lot for a long time because, you know, China's sort of stuck with this. We're going to grow at 7% a year mm. level. And, you know, reading around the subjects over the last few days, I think there's some people now saying, actually, those figures are massively inflated. Growth yeah. much, much lower than that. Yeah, I mean, people, you know, people sort of say, oh, 7% isn't very good for China, but it's, I mean, it's a fantastic number compared to other countries around the world. Um, but yes, I mean, getting reliable raw data from China is mm. very difficult. You rely on the Chinese authorities. And oh, yeah, obviously, you, know, you could argue that about any data. The ONS is always revising data, which you could argue paints a, a brighter historic picture the further mm. away from an event you step. But um, yeah, the data in China is hard to, you know, it's hard to know how reliable it is. And perhaps this devaluation of the currency is a sign that 
there's some concerns. Yeah, and I mean that that obviously hit miners uh, very hard yesterday. Yeah. Miners being obviously uh, big big suppliers to China, biggest uh, consumer of commodities uh, anywhere in the world. So miners got hit particularly hard. Um, as they have been for a while as the story has slowed. But, you know, again, uh, concerns heightened there around that sector. We've got Mark uh, Robinson's commodity um, page in the magazine this week. Actually, he's found a, a commodity which isn't getting hit so so hard, which is uh, which is a rare thing these but days. Is, so yeah. so he's, uh, I have a read of that. Um, he's not here in the podcast this week. But, uh, yeah, it's also had a, a, some knock-on effect potentially to the Federal Reserve's uh, plans to increase interest rates over the US. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't struggle to find a reason, it seems, because we've been talking oh, no. uh, talking about when they might raise rates for quite a long time now. So uh, perhaps any excuse is um, you know, available to them, they'll grasp with both hands. What do you mean? They sit there and think, thank goodness for that. Yeah, yeah. They're sat <laughs> we're, before we're running meeting, out of reasons. What on earth are we going to say to them this time that gives us justification not to do anything yet again? Perhaps this will do that. Obviously, it could affect the trade balance between the US and China. Um but yeah, I mean, it, it seems that. Well, I think the general worry is that the, the what this suggests is that there are big deflationary pressures around, around the world still, yes. uh, and therefore, you know, why why raise rates when you don't have any inflation to worry about? Well, exactly, yeah, and you know, it was Mark Carney in the UK has been talking about the fact that inflation is going to return to two percent relatively quickly, but actually, as yet, it's still pretty flat. So, mm, absolutely, um, and the US is fairly similar picture. Indeed, I mean, you mentioned the uh, UK wage growth here. I mean, I, actually, I saw mixed. Uh, reports of that some are saying it's up some are saying it's down some are saying it's you know yeah above wait- expectations. some are saying it's below expectations but i mean the reality is the data that came out in the uk has kind of again pushed the interest rate rise expectation out a little bit further over here as well yeah possibly i looked at the wage data and it's um it's broken down in various different ways uh, as you would expect with the ons so um the the regular pay growth as they call it that was unchanged uh, from the previous month and that's on a th- rolling three month basis i think um but the total pay which includes bonuses that did fall mm. so it fell from 3.2 to 2.4% um and unemployment remained firm which isn't a bad thing i mean it's a good figure 5.6% it's pretty healthy unemployment yeah, I think it ticked up a little bit didn't it, unemployment um, just a little bit i mean not... marginally yeah but i think as a percentage it's pretty much flat but, so but what we're not seeing is sort of runaway wage growth and run, runaway you know no, uh, job, we're not. job creation we're not i mean wages are sort of creeping up and that is a good thing um, they have been creeping up in previous months anyway which is a good thing obviously for you know uk plc for the mm. consumer services sectors in the uk um but yeah it's not rampant runaway picture just yet yep so uh i read and in fact i wrote in my editorial uh read capital economics uh suggesting that you know q2 16 is looking more mm. likely for uh yeah for a rate rise here yeah quite credible um i think given what mark Carney said in his last meeting it seems that you know, it wasn't that long ago I was being told that oh, September is probably likely for a UK rate rise, maybe December. Yeah, I think you'd struggle to find anyone with that view now. I yeah, mean, absolutely. The, the, the consensus is pretty quickly shifted to 2016. Well, we've been contrarian all along on this one because we didn't believe it. We didn't believe it. And, and what I've written about in my editorial was house builders uh, mm. because they've, they've been hit a couple of times. You've had this little, little sell-off when worries about yes. interest rate rises have hit that particular sector um and they're going great guns we had um bellway reporting uh trading update this week smashing figures yep. um you know it's a tip of ours it's up in the 70 percent return so far <laughs> but, you know it is doing fantastically well it's a fantastic tip pretty much the same across the sector having yep. said that it's not a 
big wage growth in uh, in the construction industry because uh, they can't they can't get enough builders. And, uh, no, I can't get a builder either. No, I, anyway, I, if anyone as, knows a good builder, your, get in touch. Your loft uh, <laughs> needs needs doing, doesn't it? It doesn't need doing. That's why I can wait. <laughs> I want to do it, <laughs> <laughs> but not yet. But I'm not paying over the odds. I'm not paying. You know, I don't have to. Have you had a word with these builders? Oh God, I've been having many words with these builders. Have you told them the economics of the, the situation. I, I don't want to suggest that their uh, their services are so in demand that, that I will accept this <laughs> quote. So no, I, have, I haven't discussed the economics of uh, the construction industry with my builders. Uh, I'm just going to find a cheap one. Uh, or wait. Okay. Um, what else we got? Uh, you've written something on supermarkets in seven days. Indeed, yep. Um, this was part of, um, came from a rep- broader report by the share center who do a regular uh, profit watch uk report and basically um, perhaps unsurprisingly but the big supermarkets were a very significant drag on um, on profits um basically they made profits fall across the whole FTSE 350 because of the amount they lost yeah um if you take out tesco sainsbury's and morrison's i think and also um Fidanta, i think it was an oil company or yeah, mining yeah, no, company yeah, Vedanta, Vedanta um, if you yeah. take those out then the picture's a lot better but obviously it's convenient to take those out so um, yeah the supermarkets are are struggling a lot profits are under a, a lot of pressure there obviously you know maybe you could argue Tesco is a recovery story possibly um, given it's you know sort of aired its dirty laundry now so maybe that's on the sort of path to recovery but um, it seems that the supermarkets are really struggling um, given a few things price you know, competition between themselves, but also the rising dominance of things like Audi and Lidl. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've only been here three weeks. So yeah, I, I guess you haven't had an enormous chance to, to really dig into the sector. But I presume you've had a little look. Yeah. Uh, a little look? A little look. <laughs> <laughs> what are your early thoughts? I mean, you know, is there, we, is there light at the end of the tunnel? I think when, I mean, obviously I used to work on Investment Advisor, which is another um, FT title. And having spoken to a few fund managers about the supermarkets before I came over, um, you, you know, you could argue you have to be quite bold to buy Tesco shares now, but mm. arguably, pretty much everything's in the price. You know, they've got a new management team. Um, a massive dollop of honesty has been dished out. Um, you know, the, the picture there is much clearer. Yes, the dividend's been cut, but um, I guess if you were investing for income and you want some stocks in your portfolio whereby there's a potential for that income to grow, you could argue Tesco is a good bet for that i think you know tesco is one that i'll be probably looking into um i have to admit i can't recall off the top of my head what our stance is on tesco at the moment yeah um but i would think that you know there's potentially uh room for that to be reconsidered given the just it's a long-term thing but the potential i mean i know someone like the income guys at schroeder's are very keen on it they've they Mm. went in pretty much around the bombshell of all this um, over-accounting um, thing that went on. So there are fund managers who kind of can see past the noise now and perhaps perhaps they're right. Okay. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Okay. And uh, obviously one last piece of big news was uh, Greece. And we, we seem to be nearing a resolution there of uh, the crisis. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone's just getting a bit bored of this now, well, aren't we've they? We've been bored of it for months. We always <laughs> promised we're never going to talk about it. But, but no, something seems to be happening... Well, concrete it, yeah, that no, will again, kind of put a lot of the the worries to rest, at least for a while. For a while, yes. I mean, reading reports across the press today, it sort of seems that the the latest um, version of the agreement, um, hopefully it was written on something better than just a hotel notepad like last time, um, seems to be that it will get passed. It will mean that um, Greece is going to have to swallow certain conditions, which it obviously the Syriza party had become... Um, well, it got into power 
on the premise that it wouldn't accept um, you know, any pressure, but obviously it has done. It's had to accept a little bit of pressure. It will have to forego certain things and achieve certain targets. Like sovereignty. Yeah. <laughs> like any self control. Um and sell a few um sell a few assets, that sort of thing. Um I don't like know all much, of his well I don't know how much Acropolis is worth. Of islands. Yeah. <laughs> um so, you know, who knows? But um yeah, it seems that we are, as you say, perhaps getting to the end of that tunnel. There is some light there. Does it solve the problem? I don't know. There was a great piece in the FD a few weeks ago about um, maybe GDP-related bonds would be the best way to go forward. So you kind of restructure the debt so that bondholders are repaid when the country is growing, mm. which would make a lot of sense, actually. Um, it seems to me that this is merely a sticking plaster and we'll be sat here in a few years' time talking about the resurgence of a Greek crisis. Yeah, well, hopefully not. Uh, or even if there is a resurgence of the Greek crisis, we probably won't be talking about it anyway. <laughs> hopefully by then John will have his conversion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe some Greek builders. <laughs> um, okay, thank you, Bradley. Um, no I mean, in the news section as well, which you've uh, looked after very ably this week, Bradley. Yep. Um, big stories from your sector, Ian, uh, particularly around the annuity providers, uh, partnership assurance and just retirement, who got smashed after George Osborne's surprise announcement. God, how long ago was that now? Six months? A year? No, no, yeah, that was last year's budget. Was it last year? 2014 budget, Correct. so a while ago now. So yeah, this is a, another ripple from that. Obviously, we saw the Aviva and Friends Life tie-up yep. um, shortly after that budget, um, and, and that was obviously partly to do with the, the kind of con- uh, contraction, uh, imminent contraction in the annuity market in the UK. Uh, and now we've seen Just Retirement and Partnership Assurance, which provide these kind of specialist annuities medically underwritten annuities and they also do bulk annuities which are where companies want to offload risk from their pension schemes so in a bulk annuity sale uh, so bulk annuity insurance um, contract Uh, they've decided to kind of get together because that market has been shrinking as a result of the budget um, and rather than kind of fight it out uh, there's been an all share merger agreed between the two parties it looks to be a sensible thing to do. Uh, partnership shares got a brief fillip on the back of the result, uh, back of the report, but they also came out with their results on the same day. And after I think analysts and the market digested just how bad the numbers are for partnership in terms of the um, the, the loss on new business they made uh, over the first half. Um, then the kind of optimism faded away quite quickly and shares ended up about the same level. So this is not a panacea in terms of the the challenges faced by these two companies, uh, but it is probably a sensible step in terms of there's some kind of cost savings that they can um, achieve. Yeah, and and, and also they won't be kind of fighting over the same contracts. Mm. But basically a a stock picker's view on either of the companies uh, has to be based on an evaluation of the annuity market, uh, both on the individual side and on the bulk side. And they're both very hard to predict at the moment as to kind of where the business is going to come from. I mean, a number of other insurers have reported this week. Are they they suffering from the same um, uncertainty? In terms of the way the market is going to pan out, well, a lot of insu- what, what a lot of the life insurers in the UK have done really well is to kind of steer away uh, and reposition their businesses away from individual annuities, either to these bulk annuities that I described, um, or to income drawdown, or to other kind of fee earning products. Um, so, but actually, UK life 
business for um, Aviva the first half and Prudential was actually quite strong. So there is still some good business here. Partnership in its quarter by quarter numbers showed an uptick in individual annuity sales in the second quarter compared to the first quarter. And that's the first time that's happened in a, in about four or five quarters. So we could be seeing the recovery of the individual annuity market or at least partial recovery following a lot of people pausing their retirement decisions in the midst of this big reform. Or we could just see a momentary flip there. Um, and on the bulk annuity side, it's just very difficult to predict. But there's a huge amount of these pension liabilities that need to be insured at some point. So this market is going to take off. It's just who's going to win the business and how lumpy is it going to be? When's it going to come through? So Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think at the time we, we felt that partnership and just retirement had been probably oversold. When, yeah. when the news came out and I think did we have them on a buy? We had partnership on a buy um, and that, that did quite well on, on, on the back of this as I say after the half year results then they kind of fell back again when mm, people but looked it's definitely the numbers. Up, it's definitely uh, the share price is up from where it was in Yeah the de- it had, it's had a better last, start yeah. to the year if you look at the graph in, in our story um, and you see that uh, that they've had a recovery in partnership yeah so we think that it was over overdone as a result of the um the budget concerns and there is some strength in that business mm. but the way the business works a lot of their co- costs are against new business generation and that's why partnership is struggling um because they that kind of loss on new business they're seeing so they don't want to kind of cut costs from that side of it in terms of generating the new business because they're hoping the bulk annuity market is very lumpy and they'll get some bigger deals in the second half and they're hoping the individual annuity market's going to come back but there's a lot of uncertainty around there so these yeah. are probably speculative decisions but it's not dead entirely i mean you know a year ago the talk was that the uh, individual annuity market was finished yeah that nobody would buy these things it's definitely it's definitely not dead there's still a huge appetite if you survey people for a guaranteed retirement income which is what an annuity is it's just the word annuity in the product has been kind of tied up with this lack of freedom um, and, and you've had the reform and a lot of people do want an income drawdown product they want to be able to take some money out and they want a bit more of a flexible retirement income you know people sometimes want they talk about a u-shaped requirement retirement you need you want money at the beginning and you maybe need money at the end rather than an annuity sometimes you know it'd be a level kind of payment that you'll get well it's, so, I mean, it sounds like the market just needs to adapt to what the consumer actually wants and they're in a good position to do that essentially yeah, potentially. I mean, it depends whether these kind of uh, individually unri- uh, underwritten annuities kind of come back to the fore, which they might well do. Um, in, in terms of the wider market, Standard Life and others that have kind of a good income drawdown proposition are really benefiting because obviously people want to be able to take a more flexible income from their retirement pot. Mm. Um, so there, there's a mixture of people that want certainty and a mixture of people that want flexibility. Uh, but yeah, these are life insurers are are adapting. But we, we've seen these specialist annuity providers hit because they don't provide as many of the other products that the, the bigger life issuers do. Okay. Uh, I particularly liked your um, Prudential piece this week, Ian. I thought it was uh, a fantastic uh, opening paragraph. I thought you'd like it, John. It started with the name of a few famous footballers. Who did we have? We had, did we have... Uh, who did we have? We had uh, Gianluca Vialli. Gianluca Vialli. Glenn Hoddle. Glenn Hoddle. Rude Hullet, which uh, <laughs> listeners <laughs> who follow football will know. Indeed. What, what unites all those people? Dom? Right? Scum. No, Chelsea. <laughs> what also unites them in terms of their role at the club at one point? Managers. What kind of managers have they been? Go on, managers. Dom. Come on. You're the football expert here. They've been player managers. Player managers. So the reason I made that um, comparison is that Mike Wells, who's the uh, chief executive of Prudential on the, on the morning uh, half-year results call, uh, described himself as a bit of a, uh, a player that's become a coach at Prudential. Obviously, mm. he's the head of the US business. He's now taken over from a very successful uh, CEO. Um, and so kind of describes himself as a kind of player coach. So that's why I made that comparison there. But yeah, he's inherited a good team. 
um, is what I've said. Um, he's also got a strong uh, set of overseas players, if I can stretch the analogy a little bit too far, um, in terms of the Asia business is still being uh, incredibly strong. So yeah, Prudential is still a, a business that's performing well, but because of its emerging market, especially its Asia exposure, um, it has actually suffered on the share price in 2015. Um, so yeah, Prudential, but a, a pretty a pretty good set, uh, set of figures and we remain positive on it. Okay, there you go. And while we're on the subject of results, uh, Bradley, you start, you've been picking them up and uh, you joined also at the wonderful uh, time of results season. So you've I had, did, yeah, you've you had... chucked me into the deep end, basically. Oh, I've, I've, I've hopefully way. I've been swimming okay. You've been swimming all right. That's the way we like to do it. Um, so you have taken over from Harriet, um, yep. the gambling sector. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. You've, uh, you've covered the two big guys this week. They're having a bit of a torrid time at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's a tough um, industry anyway. Obviously, you have um, headwinds of the point of consumption tax, which yep. is aimed at making, well, they could make some money out of internet-based gambling companies, I suppose. Yeah, so a lot of them were based in Gibraltar before, wasn't it? They're based yeah, in... absolutely. They were, they would register offshore um, deliberately. So, I mean, I think it's perhaps a bit cynical to say it's a way for the government to make money because, quite frankly, these companies, some of which have pure online um, business models weren't paying any tax in whatsoever UK. in the UK, even though the majority of their business is sold yeah, to UK yeah. consumers. So yeah. as much as, yeah, the government's now making, you know, you know, it's got a 15% duty on it now, mm. That's, in my view, that's fair enough. These companies weren't paying tax. Must have done horrible things to the Gibraltar economy. I remember going out there and <laughs> half the, com- half the uh, expats <laughs> seem to work for Victor Chandler or one of those, <laughs> those firms. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, they have a whole association built up out there of which um, most of the gambling companies you come across are members of. They staged, I think, two separate legal challenges last year both of which failed catastrophically so mm. um you know it didn't help i don't think that it, it was really in the headlines at the same time as amazon and starbucks and all yeah. of that sort of hoo-ha going on at the same time it was uh, it was never going to win hard to feel any sympathy for companies that make their money from uh, from gambling though yeah. um but anyways listen we you know a lot of people do have own the shares yeah um of course. how they I mean, how are they getting on point, point of consumption tax is here it's obviously had a big hit yeah. Um, what, what do we think the prospects look like now? So they're, they're both struggling because of the headings we've mentioned so far. So there's a point of consumption tax. There's also a large machine game duty, which was increased by the government back end of last year. So that's uh, hit um, you know, profits for the groups as well. William Hill has um, bought a company called Neo Games. It's bought a stake in it. It has an option to buy the rest of it. Um, Neo Games is um, an online lottery company. And I think William Hill's hoping this will kind of help it in some way but i mean it's a small business so far um neo games has just one license to operate a state lottery in the u.s um four states so far have the ability to run an online state lottery yeah um more are likely to follow Um, it's kind of an interesting deal in light of the fact it tried to buy 888 at the beginning of the year obviously a much bigger company and Mm. that would have been a public public company takeover and uh it completely failed to do that 888 was like you know you've got to be joking basically yeah and 888 has a huge u.s operation as well so it's very clear what william hill's trying to do i think it's very clear that it it needs to buck up the end of its online business and it's clear that it wants to go deeper into the u.s as well Mm. um U.S. is—I mean, U.S. would trouble me because I mean, oh, you know, me, me many many years ago, obviously the U.S. was a great market for uh, online gambling companies, yeah. and all of a sudden the law changed. You know, there was a change of government, and and actually it wasn't just banned. It you know, retrospective activity became illegal, and people were prosecuted. Yeah, yeah, and the federal and, system, I think, in the U.S. is just so hard to navigate for, especially for foreign companies trying to go in. It's uh, 
a lot of the analysts that you speak to in the city are very bullish on the US. If there's a company going after US um, operations, they see that as a huge growth area and they get all over excited. I personally don't get that excited. I <laughs> worry more for them because the cost is, is huge and the progress is achingly slow yeah, yeah um and you know people like sportec who bradley you're going to come up against uh, later in the year they're just prime examples of companies that have been doing this for years and the share price just goes all over the place you have to be uh, you have to buckle up yeah yeah these are interesting looking graph share price graphs so. yeah ladbrooks as well i was just looking <laughs> at the ladbrooks one as well i mean the you know it fell into a pre-tax uh, loss um of this period that's just reported it's obviously hoping uh, on the subject of m&a i suppose it, it's um proposed a merger with Gala Coral um, all being well this will go ahead perfectly fine but there is still the chance that the competition the markets authority could throw um, you know, a spanner in the works or somebody else could come along and bid for either I mean Ladbrokes could be bid for or Gala Coral could be bid for by somebody else so um, I think Ladbrokes again you know it's hoping that a merger will help it revive basically but mm. the shares if you look at the share price graph on our in our magazine um this week's on page 58 it's a pretty steep drop for what it's worth mr bearball who runs uh, an income portfolio i mean mm. uh, he, he had lab he stuck with labrooks for a long time and he's, mm. he's yeah. sold out now I mean, I yeah my predecessor julian hoffman if everyone if anyone used to follow his advice he uh he actually had labrooks on a buy for a very long time as a takeover target funnily enough that was the basis of his argument yeah. of course it never came to fruition in the last 18 months or so so i think we had eventually revised our position to hold mm. but uh mm. maybe he was just slightly ahead of the curve <laughs> there because it obviously has materialized when i covered the sector i always went for hills and sold Labrooks, I think, yeah, Labrooks was so far behind yeah. uh, online. Mm. Um, well, and the two, I think, are just at a massive disadvantage in the market because they're the two that are fighting on two fronts. You know, not yeah. only do they have to navigate online, they have to, you know, manage a retail estate at, at the same mm. time, which is, you know, which will be very large if they merge as well. And um, I mean, I think analysts have said that actually Ladbrokes could improve its online proposition if it copied what. Gala Coral did so. There's obviously a rationale behind well, the merger. So you know, there's there's a reason it could it could be good. It could mean that the online presence for both companies is better. Um, but as Harriet rightly says, you know, having such a larger state, it can be positive and negative. I mean, mm. machines are you know money making machines for gambling companies, but um, they come with a big tax as well. And you know, you've got to maintain pro- property. It's it's costly. And the the please, regulation please, environment please. is only ever going to get worse for yeah. gambling companies. It's never going to get better. So, mm. you know, you've got to brace for that. And it's going to be about, I think a lot of the the management will be tested on how well they control costs ultimately. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's not, you know, it's not rocket science. At the end of the day, Jim Mullen has quite a task ahead of him at Labbrooks either way, I think. Yes. As you say, the estate's going to be enormous if they do merge. So it's not like merging with Coral is the end of their end of their woes. No, know? absolutely not. No, and he, I think he said uh, 2017 before you, you can expect <laughs> to see any recovery. Yeah, really which is maybe a nice, uh, a nice uh, bit of honesty there. Um, you know, he as um, Harriet said, he has a plan. Um, he used to um, be the chief operating officer at William Hill, so he's got credibility behind him, perhaps given that. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a little while before there is visible improvement in his opinion. So um, yeah, we remain on hold at the moment. Um, I think that might be the case for a while. Yeah, okay. Um, one sector that is having a bit of a better time, while we're on results still, um, uh, is car retail. Yeah. We've talked about this a few times. We had some results this week from Lucas. They were great. You covered yeah, them, Yeah, really, really great. Um, I have to say that I have to give props to Pendragon and Inchcape that came week before as well. 
both sort of pretty good. Inchcape, bit more of a mixed bag, but it's a much more global business. So, you, you know, you kind of have to cut them a bit of slack there. Yeah. Look is obviously um, very UK-centric business. And, and what I like about car retail is, is it's quite straightforward in terms of if the economy is doing well and wages are returning to growth, even if they are, it's a slow return, generally the, retail, the car retail market follows. Um, and that's exactly what we've seen at, at Lookers this week. Yeah, yeah. People need new cars. They need new cars. They want used cars. They want after sales and they want parts. It's, yeah. uh, you want to listen to my car. It's making a <laughs> noise that you wouldn't believe. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Still what, goes. Yeah. But I don't think it's going to go for much longer. <laughs> Sorry, this is my old, old car. Because as listeners will know, I did buy another car. So how many my car, wife's car. How many cars do you have then? Two. So I have to drive to the station now and move the house. So yeah, I've got the old car, and the old car is making this incredible noise. <laughs> <That sounds delightful. laughs> I ought to get it fixed, but um, just worried how much it's going to cost me. Uh, so, oh yeah, okay. So uh, car also, lookers, yeah. looking And their, their looking balance, good. Sheet is, balance sheet's looking uh, the best it has for years, according to their finance chief. So, right. um, Another way to play that is through the, the motor finance providers that have had an absolutely... Brilliant time. Um, I was just speaking to the chief exec of uh, friend, uh, friends Provident earlier. Um, sorry, of Provident Financial. Get my Providence right around. I was just talking to the uh, chief executive of the Provi Provident Financial earlier, who was uh, they've they've bought this money barn business, which is growing really well. SNU, which is a which is a tip, has done really well on on the motor finance side. Uh, not so good for the motor motor insurers actually, where premiums um, still really tough market. And we reported on eShore this week. Um, so you know, not not a good time to be a motor insurer, uh, as there's more cars being driven. Uh, there's more people doing lo- longer, more mileage because of petrol's cheaper. Uh, and there's all, we've also seen a rise in whiplash ca- claims. So whip- Again, whiplash claims oh, are back. That was all think, over. Well, I think the government tried to intervene in the market, and uh, it hasn't been so successful. That's good news so for Queen Dell, isn't it? <laughs> Isn't that what they are? They, are they? <laughs> but these are good news. <laughs> <laughs> Need a longer podcast for that. Oh yeah, let's not let's not talk about that too much. Uh, okay, um, but yeah, and so I mean, talking of alternative lenders, uh, Paragon uh, issued a retail bond this week. Ian, seamless link. Seamless. <laughs> yeah, that's the um, way we roll. Yeah, and they're, they're no stranger to retail bond offerings. Um, but yeah, it's a good opportunity to have access to uh, the buy to let uh, mortgage market, uh, mortgage lending market, uh, and also consumer finance where Paragon operates. Um, so yeah, it's a six percent coupon it's offering, um, and yeah, so there's plenty of detail about it because we know that retail bond offerings are popular with our readers, um, and Paragon's a, co- a company that we like. Um, in terms of what it says about the business, um, it just shows that these uh, times are good for the alternative lenders, and they're taking steps to improve their funding all the time. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So reducing their cost of debt, um, and yeah, expanding their kind of sources of funding, and it's just another another example of it. Well, apparently this this bond issue will close at noon on the twenty fourth of August. I predict that we won't even get anywhere near that before this one sells out. No, if you look at the yield compared to what you can get on a government bond, you know it's it's kind of a no brainer. Yeah, and I think that, I mean the all all market is a bit weaker. Well, it has been a bit weaker of late. Um, you know, there was a, there was a flood of issuance. You know, in the first couple of years, uh, this thing, uh, the London Stock Exchange uh, retail bond market um, came into existence. It kind of slowed up, and I think that was partly because people were worried about interest rate increases, and that, that you know that that uh, retail bonds would become uh, comparatively unattractive. And that seems to have gone away. For a yeah, while, and if, so. you, if with Paragon, if you look at their last two um, retail bond issuances, they're both trading advance of par value so you know the, the the capital value is holding up well on the bonds yeah um, we would so, do, yeah, yeah I mean, only... well because i mean even above par you're still getting a better 
uh, yield than, than you are savings on a bank account or whatever it might be. So, uh, so yeah, okay. I, bet, I wonder if we'll see a few more of those in the, uh, the month's head. Mm. Okay, um, Harriet, I mean, this, <laughs> yeah. is, uh, this is a subject which uh, is both petrifying and fascinating <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. Um, so what we talked about doing was um, looking at some of the biotechs and some of the, even some of the large pharma mm-hmm. companies, specialty pharma companies out there who are looking at, finding cures for, for diseases which, you know, the most frightening diseases, yeah. the ones yeah. that we all worry about a lot. And so we're going to run a series of mm. these things, but you've started. Started um, with the big boy. With the big yeah. C. Have done, have done. Yeah, it's uh, it's a really interesting subject because, of course, in terms of broadsheet headlines, it's, it's bandied around an awful lot. And I think when you're trying to find an investment angle for this, it's it's a very unique challenge because you have to really try and understand what you're investing in and I think you have to understand the shortcomings of the industry at the moment as well and you shouldn't be taken in by those headlines that say so and so has founded the cure for cancer and we do hear them quite a lot I mean you know as I, as I was driving to work I'm, yeah. you know, in, my, in my second car <laughs> the other day uh, um you know, there was a story about uh, a new treatment that you know pretty much you know cured someone of some hideous hideous cancer they had, and yeah. you know, morning radio kind of thing yeah. you want to hear yeah. on your way to work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not that simple. It's really not that simple. And I think I say in the opening paragraph of this feature, you know, have we found a cure for cancer? In short, the answer is no, mm. absolutely not. Um, however, what we are finding are sort of glimmers of hope, and maybe that's um, a bit sort of. Um, you know, romantic or what have you. But ultimately, there are ways to invest in this space and realistic ways. But I I do spend quite a bit of the first part of the feature explaining exactly what the new frontier in cancer treatment is, which is immunocology. Yeah. Um, To put it simply, I do go into more deep uh, into more detail in the feature. But to put it simply, it's, it's basically using patients immune systems to fight off their disease. And the point is, is that Unfortunately, cancer is unique, and that's really what's holding the to each back. individual to each individual case. Pretty much, it doesn't matter if you have breast cancer; it's it's highly dependent on what kind of breast cancer tumor you have and what it's going to respond to. Um, and this is where sort of drugs that that harness the immune system are proving more effective because they're more tailored to a patient's individual sort of makeup as such um and i I go on to the in the feature to explain genomics as well um there are gene therapies that are using again people's individual sort of gene makeup to fight fight their disease um you know cancer is ultimately a series of gene mutations so it's about finding those mutations and trying to make these treatments as targeted as possible unfortunately that makes you know, most of the treatments very expensive, and certainly the development development extremely expensive. As well. Mm. We talked a couple of weeks ago um, in a, our healthcare tech feature mm. about how big data is kind of helping a lot of this stuff along. Yeah. I know you haven't talked about that here, no, not we, really, because we did that a couple of weeks mm. ago. But but it, this must be helping. So you know, if if, you, if you're trying to analyse this level of data on an individual basis, being able to crunch the numbers that much yeah. more quickly must help a great deal. So so the ability to target and to to build these personal medicines is is improving all the time yeah absolutely and bringing the cost down yeah certainly and I think this is what I've sort of tried to explain in the future as well is that you don't just have to invest in a pharma company or even a biotech company to get exposure in this space Um, diagnostics which is um, another part of the healthcare tech feature that I looked at is sort of repeated here in that you can invest in these diagnostic companies that are developing 
little bits of kit, basically, that are going to cut down um, sort of the time taken between a patient coming and presenting symptoms to being diagnosed with this is your kind of cancer, because mm. obviously that has a huge bearing as well on, on how well they're going to respond to treatment. Um, so early warning stuff as well. Yeah. And I mean, Acres Bioscience is one of the companies that I sort of, sort of cite in this. Um they develop at the moment um it's sort of still in in testing mode but um they are developing what are essentially hopefully breathalyzers typically used in you know alcohol detection when you're behind the wheel and things like that but eventually they want to come up with um similar sorts of tests that could detect if you have lung cancer this is the oxidative stress Mm. point i I thought it was fascinating it is fascinating um finding that correlation there between a, a sort of reading on a breathalyzer test and and certain disease. I thought it was thought it was amazing. It is amazing, and it's it's really pioneered in the US as as most healthcare um, development is. And although it's it's still fairly embryonic, um, they are hoping that there'll be certain sort of markers that come out of these tests that suggest these patients could have, you know, bigger problems than they might suspect, and that'll just cut down the diagnosis time. In, in which case, you know, as 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 is well known, your chances are better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you say the US is the big market for yeah. development here, but um, one company you've talked about is uh, Hutchinson China Meditech and China, China is becoming yeah, a force to be reckoned with here too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Hutchinson China Meditech is a great company and um, I've liked them for a long time but it's one of these companies that has basically just a non-existent valuation so in terms of recommending shares it's uh, it's, it's difficult but I think what's interesting about China is that it's, it's a hugely untapped pa- patient market um, there's a growing middle class in China that are willing to pay for these sorts of treatments. There's also a sweep of healthcare reforms going on out there in terms of insurance coverage and things like that, which are really driving a lot of growth over there. And uh, and it's cheaper to develop over there as okay. well. If they can get clinical trials through in China, um, it sort of limits them perhaps on where they might be able to sell that drug eventually. But um, I think on the whole, it's uh, it's perhaps a much more fast-growing market than the US. I, and I thought it was quite interesting that they've got a big tie-up with one of the big US uh, pharma giants, Eli Lilly. Mm. But but this seems to be a feature of, of the way drugs are being developed now. Yeah. You've got Oxford Biomedica working with Novartis and obviously uh, GSK, who's teamed up with uh, with a small company in Oxford to, to develop can- oncology treatments. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean I, the, the whole partnership thing, I think, is really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I think it was really born out of the recession a lot. You know, in, in the mid-2000s, the, the drugs companies were coming under a lot of pressure in the amount they were spending on in-house R&D. And I think a lot of them have decided that it's, in a way, it's cheaper to team up with the biotechs, let them, you know, sort of take the cost 50-50 um, and, and see what they can they can come up with together. It's interesting that you mentioned GSK as well, because as followers of the stock will will know, they uh, they sold off their entire oncology unit to Novartis mm. um, last year. So, um uh, and then this on, this oncology deal with with the Oxford-based biotech came about three weeks after that. So you can see a very definite shift in their business model about how they're going to look at cancer. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of conflicting opinion in Big Pharma as well about whether they, quote, bother to get into cancer because it, it is so costly and the risk of failure is massive. And, you know, I, I've spoken to several industry um insiders in this respect and and all of them say words to the same effect which is we're not running a charity if you want to invest money where you don't expect to give a return to investors then you have to donate to you know cancer research uk or or whoever if you're gonna give funds to a public company that public company has um a duty to to give a return to its shareholder so profits and cancer is kind of a really interesting moral issue as well that uh, readers will have to come to their own yeah. opinion on yeah but I, th- I but i think though when you look across the board, you've got Big Pharma and the way they're approaching it, and you've obviously got biotechs at the other end, and yeah. they're kind of meeting in the middle. But I think you've got a business model 
for everybody here, depending yeah. on the level of risk you want to absolutely. take on. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, That's what I've tried to sort of get at in the features is there are different levels of doing it. Obviously, Astra and GSK, some of the safest plays in terms of, I think both shares yield about 5%. So you're almost guaranteed a return just off the regular dividend there. Mm. Um, biotech obviously has nowhere near that structure and you're eventually waiting for a, for a big sale, usually to a big pharma partner. They'll just buy it out completely if they like it. Um, or, or even a commercial launch. Um, I mean, it's not cancer, but um, GW Pharma, um, which is interesting, it's a British company, but it's, it's a lot more US-focused now since it went over to NASDAQ. And uh, and that's one where they literally set up life as a biotech almost, and they're really focused on turning themselves into, quote, specialty pharma, which basically means they've got their own products, they've got their own technology, they've got their own in-house R&D, and they're not interested in selling their product off to a big pharma partner. They want to take it all the way to the market themselves. So. Mm. Oh, good luck to them. Yeah. Good luck to them. <laughs> okay, uh, anyway, it's a fascinating feature. I mean, it really is a, a cracking read. Uh, thank you very much, Harriet. And as I said, we'll be, we'll be following this, this feature up with some other, um, looking at some other areas yeah. uh, of treatment, Alzheimer's, potentially diabetes, I would HIV, imagine is a big yeah. one, HIV. So, yeah, I mean, it's re- I mean, it's a difficult industry to get to grips with if you're a, if you're a non expert yeah and i think this is the aim is to really help people understand what's out yeah. there on the market so uh, yeah good stuff okay so uh we've been we've been talking for ages uh this podcast has flown by uh <laughs> just like your first three weeks bradley so uh, exactly thank thank you all very much again thank you bradley for uh coming along with dave for the first time no, thanks for inviting and me thank you harriet and thank you mm-hmm. over in the control room ian um Plenty in the magazine this week. Results season is winding down, but it's still still fairly busy. So uh, a few results there. Um, Sex Focus, which you've also written, Bradley. And I a- did, yeah, on the hotel sector. Really? An interesting one. I encourage you to read that. And if you want to even see me talk about it, I did the video with Mark this yeah, morning. First so. video. Here it went very well. So, uh, yeah, have a look at that on the website. Uh, Algae Hall is looking in Stock Street at cheap small caps. Uh, Rosie has followed up her... Um, her wills and uh, estate planning uh, article with another this week on inheritance tax. Obviously, lots in the funds and personal finance section, which they will talk about on their podcast tomorrow. Uh, but that um, is kind of, uh, in, in short, everything's in the magazine. Um, tips, uh, news, obviously. And uh, yeah, go and pick it up. £4.50, all good news agents. And uh, we'll speak again next week. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 